everybody. This is Allie from Dice Drop Evolution. We are about to get into River's backstory. And um, I narrated it kind of like a true crime podcast, which I thought was a little funny. A little nice twist to add to it to get you into the mood. But this is a trigger warning and content warning for this backstory. There's talks of abandonment, substance abuse, emotional traumas, emotional abuse, PTSD, and sexual abuse. So with that in mind, I would like to introduce the story of Joy Rivera Hadley. I hope you enjoy. Thanks. Hi, I'm Allie, and I play River. And today we're going to talk about River and her full story. Well, most of her story. Our malevolent god has some tricks up his sleeve still. Things that River might not know yet. Things that I don't know yet. But that's okay. Because in the end, everything will be fine. When River was young, oh, I'm sorry. When Joy was young, she was spirited, happy. There was a reason why her parents named her Joy. <laughs> the moment she was born, the happiness that she had in her eyes, her beautiful, bright purple, glowing like amethyst eyes. They could see the smile on her face and the smile that was almost infectious to her parents that they just had to name her Joy. That is what she gave them. Utter, full amounts of joy. Her father being a scouter for the now-closed program of being able to scout outside and find samples of what was beyond the Wall of Eden. Now lost. Now we don't know much about River's father, just that he's alive. He shares her attributes though. Black hair, purple eyes, nice sharp jawline. She's much shorter than him, though, no. In height, she definitely got the height of her mother. Her beautiful mother. Almost platinum blonde hair. Piercing blue eyes. Almost had a 19... Uh, 1920s-style dress about her. Was very good at being the perfect housewife. But not so perfect. She definitely still had anger issues and attitudes with her. She would do her best for the children which she loved. And be there for her husband. Who she loved more than this world. Then there was their firstborn. Robin. Robin Eugene Hadley. Now this story isn't about him. But he's giving us some problems right now, isn't he? (laughs) 
Robin loved his sister, loved her to the moon and back. The moment she came into this world, he wanted to protect her. He wanted to be there for her. He would do anything to protect, to love, to show her the respect that she should be given and what she should need. Joy to him was almost a new reason to breathe, which is almost incredibly mature coming from the age that he was. But the moment he saw her cradled in his mother's arms, he knew he had to be there for her. He didn't know when, he didn't know why, but he knew he had to be. As Joy grew up, she was around one or two. She started developing very early. She started talking a lot around the age, I don't know, was four months, four months old, still doing tummy time. That's when her first words were uttered. Mother was very, very impressed. It was almost like she could pick up on things extraordinarily fast. She learned how to walk rather quickly too. She started walking weirdly six months into her development. Bones weren't fully structured yet, but she seemed to have a handle on her limbs, though she looked like a giraffe trying to run to her mother. What could she do? She wanted to be with her. But don't get me wrong. Joy... (laughs) Joy was definitely a daddy's girl. Joy had this almost connection with her father. Their mother would say that it had something to do with the eyes. The connection went through there. But the love in this family knew new bounds. The amount of love, care that went into everybody was tremendous. At the age of three is when things started to go wrong. You see, they started asking Rivers' father questions. They made him do the mutant test, administer it on his children. He knew. He knew what it was going to come back as. His genes were too strong. He knew the moment he looked at Joy that Joy was definitely like him. Robin, the moment he held a bow, the moment he spoke of just hearing things, seeing things, heightened senses, almost like a bloodhound, he knew his children were both mutants and that they were both harboring the gene. So when the tests were taken and the inevitable came out that both Joy and Robin, both of these children had mutant abilities, the parents weren't surprised. Joy and Robin's mother weren't surprised. She fell in love with the mutant. She wasn't going to stop herself. 
She knew what she was getting into the moment she looked in his bright violet eyes. Joy and Robin's father. He... He was devastated. He, knowing what was going to happen, but watching his children, his three-year-old daughter and five-year-old son, be ripped out of his arms just to be taken to the monster, Jeanette Astoria, was too much for him to take. He fought, fought tooth and nail. Hell, he almost killed a few guys. He definitely knows he knocked them out. He may have killed them. He doesn't even know. There are too many of them, though. Only one of him. His wife, unbeknownst to him, was already gone. Whether she fled, something else happened, he was unaware. And he was taken out of Eden to a high-security prison. Why they didn't kill him on the spot is still a mystery. Maybe our God will talk about it in the future. But then again, the story isn't about the father. He was just a part of it. It's about joy. And what happened to Joy and Robin in Astoria? As you all know, Robin came from Astoria. Robin and Shade actually came from Astoria from testing and probing and just doing awful things to mutated children and try and do research on mutations, on powers, what creates the powers. What happened really in the end was she hurt them. She hurt them a lot. Keep in mind River Joy, sorry. Keep in mind Joy at this time was 10, Hood, Robin, 12. The amount of collecting DNA, poking, probing, torturing, hurting, destroying the mental mind of these children who grew up in a lab. People who didn't know Jeanette Astoria, they knew she was cruel. They knew she was crazy. They knew she was power hungry. But what they didn't know was just how cruel she could be. Through the late nights and early mornings, Joy would often wake up covered in sweat, muscles aching, shaking from the coldness of the lab. Almost feeling nothing than her fingers and her toes, but no energy to do anything. Energy being taken from her, being wiped out. Astoria seemed weirdly more interested in Joy. She was interested in Robin and Shade just as much, but she did more tests, more probing, more cutting, more stabbing. But Joy, was there something that she wanted? Joy always thought. Why was she different than the rest? Sarah, at the time, who is Shade, always wanted to be 
by Joy's side, but was almost too scared to get involved. She loved Joy like a sister and would talk to her. She was one of the only people. She was one of the only people that would actually talk to Joy. Not being scared of getting hurt by one of the guards or Astoria. Joy would often cry herself to sleep at night. Little did she know she was gaining a lovely amount of PTSD. This didn't help any of her anxiety. She started getting that disorder at the age of six. Everything frightened her. Everything scary. Any little bump in the night. Any little hit. But now she has developed a stronger, more passionate fear of needles. What's in them? What's probing her? What's What do they want so badly? Needles should be the least of her problems. But in this scenario, they were the, the absolute worst of them. That night, and he got her out of Astoria Cybertech. He brought her and told her to go to the place where mom and dad told them to go. This place was almost like a safe zone for them, for their mother and father. This woman was almost like a godmother figure, in a way. So, when Robin saved Joy, that was the ultimate sacrifice for the little sister that he loved. He needed her out. He knew Astoria wanted her too much. He knew it wasn't good. So he needed her out. And he did it in the only way he knew how. By forgetting her. When Joy arrived to the tent that was hidden within the lower district, she was already scared, shaking, (laughs) covered in a hospital gown, shivering cold. She's never warm. She can't stay warm. She's too small to stay warm. She was small when she, while she was growing up, and she just seemed to stay that size. It was like her body couldn't bulk up in any ways. Maybe it was her genetics. Maybe it had something to do with her mutation, but she just, she was one of those girls that would always stay tiny. When she saw her, she gave her a hug immediately. She felt some form of warmth for the first time in seven years. Seven years she has spent without the warmth of something. Sure, she had Robin, she had Sarah, but all mother figures were gone. Everything scared her still. Still, she, for some reason, trusted this person with open arms. And when she awoke, memories were gone. All of that was wiped out. She awoke in a foster home. Name still Joy. Joy Rivera Hadley, full name, still in use, but name also not being able to be used anywhere for the last name Hadley has been erased from Eden. Nothing, no one. The family didn't exist. It was a lie. The father wasn't useful. The mother 
didn't have any family. She was fine. Everyone just forgot about the Hadleys that lived in the lower middle district that just wanted to have a happy, loving life. So when Joy woke up, she woke up in the lower district with memories of her house being an orphanage and her always being in that orphanage, never going to Astoria, being with other kids, the laughter, the anger, the frustration, the fear, so much fear, the constant need to cook and clean, and the need to be there for other children. She needed to help them, and she needed to be the only one that could help them because she, she was it. She was going to help them. She was going to be their savior. She was going to be their protector because they will not end up like her. They will end up better. They will end up stronger. And she would be damned if anyone would take that from her. So as Joy grew up, she soon realized being in the lower district almost immediately. It was weird why she didn't think about it before. Didn't really take it into account. She's 10 years old. Joy seemed like a fine name, but why did she keep it for so long in the lower district? Joy's not going to be good in the lower district. Joy's going to get beat up like the poodle at the dog park. So Joy honed in on her middle name, Rivera. More of a Latin root, sure. Doesn't really know where it came from. She doesn't know her parents. She couldn't ask them. River. She thought, I will be River. River has a cooler feel to it. River slides off your tongue a lot easier. River can be threatening. River can scam. River can gamble. River can do whatever her heart desires. Well, Joy can't. Joy is a scared little girl in a shell of who she used to be. So River will be it. River will be me. So now River would walk around the lower district with confidence. So much confidence. Even though she was being passed around from foster home to foster home, like fucking trick-or-treater on Halloween, she didn't care. This was her life now. This is how she will be. River, at the ripe age of 12, became one of the lower district's best swindlers she knew what she needed to do to get coins she knew what she needed to do to get silver to get copper to get gold to get anything she knew she needed money and she knew people in the lower district could not stop a gamble she got very good at it would swindle multiple people out of their money and before they could realize what happened she was gone so fast so swift she was so small She can use it to her advantage, which she's learned to do in a very, very short amount of time. River was tricky. River was also lovely. River would never let a friend down. River, at the age of 14, met a friend named Brayden. Brayden, being a beautiful mixed male, Bright eyes that would shine in the sunlight and a smile that would warm her soul. Brayden was there for her. 
Brayden will always be there. Not in a romantic way. He was a brother. He made her feel safe, which was very rare. Not a lot of people made River feel safe. So River asked him nicely as she started developing if he could please dread her hair. And it wasn't for what people think of as cultural appropriation. See, no one cares about the lower district. Sure, it was supposed to be a utopia, but it's a utopia for people who live in the upper district. The lower district could basically be in the sewers and no one would know. It was very hard to come by a water source forever. It was very hard to shower. It was very hard to clean. So walking around with oily, greased-up hair really wasn't the best way for her to go. Brayden agreed to dread her hair. <laughs> While going through it, he would always say things like, your, ha- your white girl hair is way too soft for this. She would smile and laugh, and he gave her beads to put in it. Beads that she absolutely adored till the end of time. River turned 15. Hadn't seen Brayden in a few months. Either he got adopted, or he found somewhere else to go in the lower district. She doesn't know where he is. All she knows is that he's gone. Could have been a mutant. She didn't care. River doesn't care. If you're a mutant, doesn't care if you're a guy or girl, doesn't care if you're gay, straight, bisexual. She does not care. You be the person that you want to be, that you feel the safest with. All she cares about is that if you're her friend, that you let her know that you're safe. River, at the bright age of 16, was put into a foster home. The Annals. This is when things started to shift. You see, though River was small, she started to develop more developed a little bit more of a curve definitely had a little bit more hip sure her chest didn't grow very much but it was better than nothing purple eyes wider her lips fuller jawline sharpened it was like puberty did her good (laughs) and her foster father saw that too see the foster mother always coked out of her brain on the couch. She didn't know what was going on ever. That's when it happened. He looked at her and said, you shouldn't waste a pretty face like that. He tried to go in. She would think that the dreads would be enough to fight off the predators, fight off the men, fight off the monsters. But she was wrong. When he forced himself on her, She was able to get a handle on something to knock him out. She ran away that day. She ran away from that foster home. And this was the first time that a caseworker actually listened to her and immediately took her out of that home and placed her in a new home. A home where she would never be alone. A home where she was caring for other kids. 
From the ages 16 to 18, she stayed in that home, taking care of the kids, watching them go in and out. She fed them. She bathed them. She clothed them. Whatever money she got on the street would go directly to them because fuck the actual foster parents. They're just in it for the money. They're just in it for the check. They didn't care about them. They don't care about these kids. It's just an easy way to get money. That's when River realized that she had to protect everyone she can. The lower district isn't for anybody. Unfortunately, at the age of 18, the foster family saw this as a threat. And with threats comes no money. And with no money means what's the point of being around? She's definitely going to tell the foster program that they aren't feeding or fending for these children. So they don't need her around. She's 18. She can live on her own. She doesn't need our roof above her head. So they kicked her out that night on her 18th birthday. They sent her along with a ratty old duffel bag of her maybe 20 items that she had kids crying in tears behind her just asking where they're going where their big sister River is going River had to act like everything was okay, like everything was fine that everything was going to be great she was just going on a trip for a little bit, she would be back and that was the last time they saw her I think they still miss her I think even though they're older now they definitely still think about their big sister River and where she is, and they hope she's happy and okay. When River met Xander, River was a street rat. She would do what she needed to to get by. She would sleep in the junkyard where she could hide from the elements. She did whatever she needed to. She actually even went so far to get piercings on her nostril, septum, medusa. She even got an eyebrow piercing, hoping this would at least be somewhat threatening and kind of scare the predators. Her small frame definitely wasn't doing it. She figured the more she would put on her body, the more they would not want her, the more that they would look away. Did help some. Not enough. When River met Xander, she was on the streets, living day by day as she could. River met Barney then. Barney, the owner of Barney's Market, always there for her. The moment he saw her, he saw her like a daughter that he never had and he wanted to protect her. He saw into that beautiful, tortured mind of hers and said, this will be my daughter and I will protect her with everything that I have. And he did. Though it wasn't always giving her meals and housing her, he did take care of her for the amount of time that he could. River went to a street race where she met Sasha Alexander Marks. Or Xander. He didn't go by Sasha then. River didn't know his name was Sasha then. She probably wouldn't have dated him if she knew his name was Sasha then. 
His name was Sasha. So Sasha or Xander. We'll call him Xander for continuity's sake. Xander was a hotshot. Bad boy. Leather jacket. Hair slicked back. Could go with some guyliner too. Every emo girl's dream. The slight indentation of abs, but like definitely not fully there. Very slight, very small. Just enough to show that, yeah, I do work on cars in my meantime, but also it's not my main job. When Xander saw a river, he saw a spark, saw intuition. He saw a pretty girl behind the dreads mystifying almost didn't care about the piercings he actually found them hot he loves a girl that's not afraid of a little pain so he talked to her made her laugh made her love him manipulated her into staying with him showed her how to race gave her a skill gave her the attention that she needed this attention starved already girl who didn't have any love growing up who didn't feel or know her past and what she had waiting for her behind these blocked memories this attention starved needing girl couldn't see the monster that was in front of her he taught her to drive taught her how to fix cars Little did he know that she would end up better than him. Great. Almost like a prodigy. He was ecstatic. He had his moneymaker. He was good. And he was going to make her believe that he was also in love with her. That he would do anything for her. River started to notice something. You see, River's very good at puzzles. She's very good at putting things together, whether being manipulated or not. She's very good at putting things together. Two and two make four. Four and four make eight. Car parts go in this end, that that end. If this fits in there, then that will work. Trading. Making. Solving and unsolving. That's how her brain works. Though it's not mathematic, she still was able to understand things at a quick rate, at a fast rate. She could figure out a problem and find its solution better than any of the boys in that garage. You see, River taught herself. She learned everything by herself. No one was going to teach her how to read. She learned that herself. No one was going to teach her how to write. She learned that herself. No one was going to teach her how to fight. Stand up for herself. That one she didn't quite learn yet. But what she did know was she could get angry. She felt it always boiling at the surface. She would feel a rage she never would feel before. Just anger issues, which she wasn't aware of, which she didn't have an idea. Along with the anger issues came anxiety. Started having anxiety attacks at the age of 13 with no cause. Where did this anxiety come from? It was almost like a hidden, 
hidden part of the back of her mind that was being pushed, being shoved into her face so hard that she couldn't breathe, couldn't think. So bad, at the age of 14, her foster mother gave her a cigarette saying, it's cheaper than therapy, hun. Have this, it will make you feel better. And it did, for the time being. Gave her something to focus on, something to breathe in, breathe out. But Xander noticed all of this about her. Though she was smart, intelligent, beautiful. Could be everything to him. And she will be. She will be everything to him. She will be mine. She is my prize. I won her. I deserve her. She is mine. He forgot that one night. He forgot that maybe her puzzling skills were a bit much. Maybe her puzzling skills were a little bit crazy, a little bit almost too good. River started asking around, you see, because Xander wouldn't come home almost immediately at night. He would stay out with the boys, but... They don't keep the shop open that long, and she wasn't going to stop him from being with his friends. No, that's just stupid. The mechanics in the garage weren't going to tell her. Why would they tell her? That's their moneymaker right there. We're not going to tell her. Xander would kick our asses. River found out, though. River always found out. River had this beautiful ability of finding out. River was a rock star, you see. River went into the club mutation. Didn't really go in. She kind of strided in. You see, the way she got into club mutation wasn't going to let her in. He had a feeling he... He had a feeling he knew who she was. He'd seen her at a few races. The bouncer smiled at her and said sorry toots can't let you in river gave him an incentive you see she already knew what was going on she already knew this relationship was long over so she pulled this bouncer into a kiss so it wasn't a long kiss maybe 45 seconds but enough to distract him so she could push her way in and it worked Though River isn't into objectifying herself, she's definitely not above it to get what she needs and gets what she wants. That's when she saw it. Saw Xander with Candy. Now, if you remember in River's episode one, River called Candy a slut. You see, she knows Candy isn't a slut. Sure, she's empowered by women. She loves, loves, loves women empowerment. She is all about it. She is not into slut shaming. She's not into anything. But something boiled in her the moment she saw Xander dancing with Candy. This little blonde, scantily clad blonde clinging to him like the leather jacket on his skin. Him kissing her neck, essentially. It's kind of gross. That's when River knew. She didn't say anything. 
made sure he didn't see her. He seemed busy anyways. Wasn't even thinking about seeing her. River went back to the apartment. Other silence. Not a word spoken. The doorman saw her walk out. Didn't say anything. She just nodded at him and walked away. Creepily silent, almost, actually. Almost robotic. She grabbed all of her belongings from Xander's. <laughs> but not before stopping at the garage and grabbing a tank of gasoline. Do you know gasoline's extremely flammable? Dangerous, almost. If you didn't know that, you should really, really be doing your research. So, she grabbed the gasoline, poured it all over the apartment, made sure everything was soaked in it, from the rug to his comforter to his couches, everything. She lit a cigarette on her way out, and threw it onto the flame and walked away as the explosion set with a big smile on her face. Xander had not seen her for a while then. When he came back, no apartment and no river. Wonder where she's at. She's going to pay for this. She's mine. Months passed. And River started doing work for Barney. Barney had her doing side jobs. It made it very, very easy for her to get money without getting hurt. Barney was there for her. He loved River. Like I said, he would do anything for River. That is his daughter. That is his baby girl. When River met Zeke, it's a few months after Xander, nothing bad could ever happen again. That would be crazy. That would be crazy. She's not that attention starved. She just is a little bit hyperactive sometimes. Maybe just needs a hug or whatever. Uh, whatever. She doesn't need anybody. It's fine. Ezekiel. Ezekiel came into the picture. At this point, River's almost at the end of 18, going into 19. Zeke was recent. Zeke was River's second boyfriend. Zeke was different than Xander in every way. When River met Zeke is when she was doing a drop-off for Barney. River didn't know where he was from. Definitely wasn't from the lower district, that's for sure. He was dressed in a perfectly white v-neck and black jeans, which looked brand new. Nothing is brand new in the lower district, so she knew he wasn't from there. She could put two and two together. What was different about Zeke from Xander was the way he looked at River. River has never been looked at like that. She was unaware of the look of a predator. He saw her and immediately went up to talk to her. He talked about how her eyes reminded him of the violets that would grow in his mother's garden and how when the light hit them, they, they glowed like amethysts. Zeke easily swindled River into moving in with him. 
but it really wasn't his apartment that he moved her into. But she wasn't going to say anything. At least she had a roof over her head. And someone seemed to have given a shit about her. But things became different after she moved to the apartment. It was extremely clear that this wasn't where Zeke lived. This was the second place he seemed to be renting out. To lock her in? This apartment became her cage for four months. Zeke would come and go twice a week, would drop off food, coo at her, tell her that she was better this, in this apartment than the real world, how he wouldn't let her go, how he, that she was his, and that she was his object, and that she was his pet. He saw something in River, it was almost animalistic. He had this weird sick obsession river thought maybe it was part of the mutant genes maybe it was her purple eyes that gave him this obsession this compulsion to need her like this she wasn't aware she does ha- she had she had no idea she still doesn't know all she knows is zeke was crazy and zeke would come in those once or two times a week and he'd have his violent, painful way with her. She seemed to block it out to this day. River is scared to death of this man. After the first time it happened, she tried leaving quickly. How she tried leaving the first day. When she realized Zeke left, when she realized Zeke left and locked the door from the outside, the door didn't have a lock on the inside, and there was no fire escape to get out of. Every time he would come and leave, she felt her soul drifting away slowly, eating at her. She stopped eating for a while. Everything was just numb. She was crying a lot, shivering, scared. Almost put back into a place where she felt familiar with, but she wasn't quite sure. She was like, She was very confused. She felt used. She felt manipulated again by these stupid men, by these stupid acts of hatred. Sometimes she thinks she, she, sometimes she thinks she should have stayed with Xander. Sure, he would cheat on her, but at least she wouldn't be stuck with this sick fuck. One day, Zeke let his guard down around River. Was a mistake. He left the door unlocked to get groceries out of his speeder, only to come back to an empty apartment. River is nowhere to be found. River ran to Barney's market. He hadn't seen her in months and started to be worried and think the worst. The moment she busted through that door with tears in her eyes thinner than she ever looked, she didn't need to tell him. He knew what happened. He saw it already. He would pull her into his arms, let her cry, let her panic attacks ride out. She actually stayed in Barney's market for two or three days after that until she said she had to get out of his hair. She felt guilty staying in the market. He said he didn't mind, actually. He said it made his shop feel safer knowing that someone was there at night. River didn't want to take his kindness. She didn't want to take it and owe him something. So, River, now at the crisp age of 19, 
went to go sleep in Sal's junkyard. And that is where she stayed. And that is how Joy became River. <laughs>